This is episode number 133 of the Individual One podcast. And for the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective because unfortunately no one else has been able to or willing to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media and follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. We're coming down the home stretch of the existence of this podcast. Just a few more episodes left, probably I would say four more after this one, depending on circumstances. Next week, we're going to do our last episode of 2020 with the start of what will probably be two episodes, I'm guessing, based upon the response we got last time of Ask John Anything. So you'll be able to ask me anything you want about the current state of America, the Trump presidency, uh, all the things we've covered in the two years of the podcast you can do so either by responding uh, to uh, a uh, query on our Twitter page, which I'll put up on both mine and the individual number one pod Twitter page for people to ask there, ask John anything questions, or you can do so on my uh, John Ziegler Facebook page, or you can email me. Uh, my email is talk to zig all letters, talk to, T-O-Z-I-G, talk to zig at AOL.com. And we'll start that as well as reviewing whatever news there is between this week and next week in next week's episode, which, as I said, is scheduled to be the last of 2020. We will do a few in January leading up to the inauguration of Joe Biden, although it does not look as if Donald Trump is likely to be at that inauguration. Get more to more on that in, in a moment. Uh, currently, uh, things are so bizarre. And granted, 2020 has been the strangest of all years. The bizarre is now considered to be normal. We've been completely desensitized, especially after four years of the insanity uh, of Donald Trump. Correct. That uh, you know, all sorts of crazy things seem almost normal now. But the United States essentially has no president right now. Uh, effectively, uh, the, the president is just the whiner in chief. He's just complaining about uh, the fact that no one will take his claims of election fraud seriously. Why none of the the judges, even conservative judges, even on the Supreme Court, even judges that he appointed are doing his bidding for him, not even his attorney general. Bill Barr is doing his bidding for him. He's getting shut down in court everywhere yesterday. A last ditch effort to stop certification in the state of Pennsylvania, the key state of all, uh, was shot down and didn't even get into the Supreme Court. Uh, as uh, once again, Trump lost, as he has done continually, because there's no evidence of any actual fraud. There's no reason why the certification of the election should be stopped or even delayed. Uh, Texas is still out there with a desperation Hail Mary uh, pass, which has an interesting, at least legal theory behind it, which is the equal protection concept. The equal protection concept at least makes some sense legally, but would create a, a precedent that would make it virtually impossible for there ever to be a national election. We do elections via the state. We do state-run elections. That's why the states, uh, they are the ones who elect their electors to the electoral college. 
Otherwise, uh, there would be total chaos. We do not have national presidential elections in this country. That was actually a smart thing that the founding fathers did. I'm actually a big believer in the Electoral College, although I personally think that it should be done slightly differently. I think Maine and Nebraska have the right idea where they break it down by congressional district. I think if we did it by congressional district, uh, it would be an even better system than it currently is. But let's be clear, uh, as I've said many, many times with regard to the Trump claims, he doesn't even get into the ballpark because even if any one of these particular states, like, for instance, Pennsylvania, uh, somehow magically was changed by a ridiculous decision by his own Supreme Court, he still wouldn't win because it's not enough Electoral College votes. He'd have to win Pennsylvania, Georgia and Arizona. And there's no evidence any of that's going to happen. There's no evidence any of those states are really close enough for normal inconsistencies uh, to have any real impact on what happened. This is why we have a precinct system in the United States of America, by the way. The precinct is so small that no one precinct could possibly shift an entire state, especially a large state. And if they did, it would be so obvious and it would be easy to investigate. There's nothing like that that happened here. And so, you know, to use the, the ballpark analogy, Trump's claims don't even really get out of the batter's box. And he continues to lie. He continues to say things that are just not true. In fact, today he, he tweeted something that was just hilarious. It's just flat out ridiculous. Which even by his standards, he claimed that he won Florida and Ohio which, by the way, is true. Correct. He did win Florida and Ohio. But he said that no president has ever won Florida and Ohio and not won the election, as if this is somehow evidence that the election was stolen. First of all, that's an absurdity on its face. That That's a ridiculous concept that somehow because you won two big states, there's a lot of other big states out there, Obviously, New York, California uh, being two of the biggest, and they did not go for Donald Trump, that somehow because magically Florida and Ohio went for you, that this in inherently means that the rest of the election cannot be valid and therefore must be the product of fraud. It's absurd on its face, right? Well, it gets worse because guess what? This is going to shock you. It's not true. You must be crazy. When are you going to stop believing in something that isn't true? Because in 1960, Richard Nixon won Florida and Ohio and lost the presidency. Correct. Now, there are those who claim that he was robbed of the presidency by corruption in Illinois, by the Kennedy family and the mob. There may be some truth to that, but guess what? Even if Illinois had uh, not gone to Kennedy, Nixon still would have lost. And the, the Nixon comparison is interesting because Nixon did not, even as horrible a person as Nixon was, as we later found out in the Watergate scandal, uh, even Nixon did not contest the election. He conceded like a real man. He acknowledged defeat. He helped with the transition. There was no controversy over whether or not John Kennedy was the duly elected president of the United States. Of course, Trump is not doing anything like that. 
But, you know, he, he tweets this out. It'll get hundreds of thousands of likes, I'm sure, from his followers. All I know is what's on the Internet. And because, you know, his followers really don't know much about history. I love the poorly educated. If anything. And they just believe that he's always right. And in fact, even those who understand that Nixon lost are probably thinking he's making this brilliant analogy to the 1960 election that uh, since Nixon got robbed but just didn't have the balls to fight it like Trump is, that he's comparing himself fair, favorably uh, to Richard Nixon. Correct. That's the bizarro world we live in. And a lot of Trump fans and so-called Republicans are seemingly buying it. There's lots of evidence of this. There's evidence in a, a poll that indicates that uh, Donald Trump is the heavy favorite to be the GOP nominee in 2024. At least 35 percent of Republicans saying that they favor him. You know, there was some uh, talk that, well, that's a pretty small number consider, considering how dominant Trump is over the party and the fact that he's the president and we're four years out. And isn't that number going to diminish over time? I actually thought that that number was pretty darn strong, considering the fact that if you add in uh, Ivanka and Donald Trump Jr. Uh, and a couple of other people on that list of uh, of names that were used in that poll, that you got over 50 percent of people who wanted a Trump person or a Trump name to be the GOP nominee. And that's more than enough to make it happen in what will obviously be a multi-person race. Heck, the last time it was an open race in 2016, you had 16 different candidates. And that's why Trump was able to win with basically only 25, 30, maybe 35 percent support among all Republicans. Well, it's going to be multi-person race again in all likelihood. And, uh, and you know, if Trump is able to maintain his 35 percent of the cult, uh, he, he, if he wants it and he's in good health, it's basically going to be his. And uh, there's other evidence, by the way, that a huge portion of the Republican Party are buying this bullshit. The TV ratings, which are probably even more accurate than uh, political polling, especially when you're considering something that's you know, four years out, like the 2024 GOP primary, the television ratings are extraordinary. Fox News Channel is hemorrhaging huge portions of their audience. Why? Because they, except for a couple of their crazy opinion leaders like the Sean Hannity's of the world, they are largely deciding that, you know what, uh, we're going to accept Joe Biden as president and that this was a legitimate election. And that is now something that is so offensive to the average Trump fan that they're changing the channel. Newsmax. Newsmax actually defeated Fox News Channel in a primetime show in a major demographic the other night. Greg Kelly, whose show actually I've appeared on, although I doubt he would ever have me on again because now he's all uh, election fraud all the time and you're not allowed to say anything bad about Donald Trump. Uh, but he's a good guy. I like him. Uh, the reality is, you know, he, he's he's found gold because he's doing now the content that Fox News Channel would have done uh, previously, and the Trump fans are finding Newsmax, which until this happened, Newsmax was barely a blip on the TV ratings radar. Uh, but now they're a competitor, a legitimate competitor, at least temporarily, with Fox News Channel. And this has 
huge implications. I mean, what's going to happen, of course, is once they've found a hit, Newsmax is going to you know, do more and more election fraud coverage. One American News, which has already been a fantasy network on behalf of Donald Trump, they'll continue to do the same thing. And it's going to continue to facilitate these fantasy conspiracy theories because these people are going to be able to get their diet of bullshit. Their bullshit on Fox News Channel that they used to get, now they can get elsewhere. And there's still some places on Fox News Channel that they can get it. But it is enabling this insanity. That's what's happening. And so, therefore, these people are never going to change their They were never going to change their minds anyway. But when you have a seemingly major media source that is facilitating your fantasies, it's like a therapist. And I've said this many times, that that's what, in large part, the modern news media has become. It's become therapy to help people feel better about what it is they want to believe about reality and about what's happening in the news. And we're seeing that among conservatives with regard to this election fraud theory. And somebody who put this very, very well uh, is George Conway. George Conway, who is the husband of Kellyanne Conway, top advisor to President Trump uh, since the beginning who had the audacity, by the way, to effectively acknowledge that Joe Biden uh, was president of the United States or president-elect, which, you know, is basically in Trump world. Blasphema! I mean, it's unbelievable that she said that. Blasphemy! He said it again! And here her husband went on CNN yesterday and I think correctly described what's going on with a lot of the Republican base with regard to this belief that Trump had this election stolen from him. Some segment of the American people that wants to believe that somehow Donald Trump can pull this off. And it's the, the biggest election fraud of the 2020 cycle. It didn't happen in any voting booth or in any, any mailing drop box. It's happening now with these people peddling the lie that he won the election. And it's obvious that it's a lie, not just because there's no evidence, as if we used to have, you know, <laughs> we used to need evidence to believe crazy things, but now we can just believe crazy things because they make us feel better, I guess. That's, that's the new world we live in. By the way, on both sides, both left and the right. But, uh, you know, we, we know this not just because there's no evidence, but because the people that would be saying it's true are not saying it. Bill Barr would be all over this. His job is on the line. Kellyanne, Kellyanne Conway, her job is on the line, would be saying that this is true. She's not doing so uh, either. All sorts of people like that are not saying it's true, including Donald Trump. That's right. Even Donald Trump, his actions and his words if parsed carefully, uh, are uh, clear indications that he knows he lost. In the last episode, we went through the Michael Flynn pardon. Why in the world would he pardon Michael Flynn now if he thought he had won? If he thought he was going to be president for another four years, there would be no need to start with the last-ditch pardons for his friends. And we're going to see, I don't know when it's going to happen, but we're going to see all sorts of pardons between now and January 20th when Trump is finally forced to leave office. And there was more evidence, which I'll get to momentarily, that Trump knows he lost. Maybe even better evidence than the Michael Flynn pardon, which I'll get to momentarily. But as far as that inauguration, 
on January 20th. There's this story being floated, which I don't know that I, I believe because it feels a little too perfect. It feels like it fits the liberal worldview of Trump a little too uh, to a T. And therefore, I'm inherently suspicious of it. And uh, but the story is basically going and it's been reported in, in multiple uh, ways by multiple outlets. But the basic story is that Trump is planning, supposedly, some sort of counter inaugural event where he is going to announce his candidacy for the 2024 uh, Republican nomination on the very same day that Joe Biden is taking the oath of office. You cannot be serious. This apparently, again, I don't know how true it is, uh, but this apparently would involve him doing an entire counter event and that the strategy would be to uh, to effectively blunt all the coverage of, at least in the conservative world, of Joe Biden's inauguration, almost effectively pretend that it's not really happening. He doesn't have to admit defeat, and he creates a new narrative. In in defeat and in death, he rises from the ashes like, like a phoenix, and we have a brand new narrative. I'm running in 2024. I w- the election was stolen in 2020, and so let's focus on the next uh, you know four years when I run again. By the way, as I've said many times before, I've said this throughout this podcast, I thought that there was an excellent chance that after Trump lost, which I've always predicted or almost always predicted that he would, that if he was healthy and he had any interest in it, that he would at the very least pretend to run in 2024 and effectively cock block everybody else from having a shot. And then maybe if he didn't want it, he could put his own person into the position, whether that was his son or somebody else, I don't know. But there was all sorts of possibilities. But there's no doubt that Trump was not going to uh, eliminate that as a possibility because it's too much in his self-interest. But this strategy, see, one of the reasons I'm dubious that this is accurate, and I'm not someone obviously believes that Trump is is particularly smart, but he, he understands the media very, very well. And I think his theory behind this, if it was true, would be that he's a bigger star than Biden. The media won't be able to resist uh, this you know, unprecedented event of a former president uh, uh, doing what he's doing on, on Inauguration Day. Uh, effectively, I guess he wouldn't even attend the inauguration. That seems to be the uh, presumption that this would be so crazy that the narrative would be so wild uh, and uh, that this would be something the news media could not possibly resist and that they would give it lots of coverage, if not full coverage. I don't believe that would be the case at all. I I don't even think Fox News Channel would cover it uh, other than, you know, obviously the Sean Hannity's of the world. I don't think the news side of Fox News Channel would do anything other than say, hey, this is happening, uh, you know, whatever. Let's go back to Biden's inauguration. Clearly, the liberal networks, the mainstream networks, they would not do so. And, you know, in case you're you're skeptical of that, I remember very well that uh, in 2017, January 2017, when Trump was inaugurated, I, I found it really shocking as somebody who had watched the news media doing hosannas for Barack Obama for over eight years. In fact, I did a movie called Media Malpractice about 
the media's love affair with Barack Obama, effectively making him the Democratic nominee in 2008 and sweeping him to victory with a hurricane wind behind his back, I found it really remarkable that their coverage of Barack Obama's goodbye, even, which was a totally normal and appropriate goodbye, was exceedingly truncated. And I remember being shocked when they cut out from his speech that he was giving before he left to go back to the Trump inauguration. And this wasn't just Fox News Channel. This was everybody. And that was Barack Obama with whom they agree and they love and he was not an impeached president and he was not a president that was being blamed for almost 300,000 deaths because of a of a pandemic in my view the he, if trump really believes that he's going to pull something like this off uh, from a media perspective he's just flat wrong uh, because he's overestimating uh, his own power, prestige, and and ability to gain ratings. And he's also underestimating how much the news media is going to be invested, at least on this day, on this particular day of Inauguration Day, of completely ignoring him and not doing, because I, I guarantee you, if they give him the time of day, the liberals on Twitter will go bananas and every left-wing outlet that takes part in that will get destroyed, if not canceled. Uh, So there's really no interest, you know, there's nothing in their self-interest to do this. So if this is real, I think it's a dumb idea, not just because it's wrong, but because I think from a strategic perspective, he's grossly miscalculating his own ability to dominate the media narrative. Now, I mentioned that uh, there were another uh, statement that, that Donald Trump made, which indicates that even he knows that he lost. And probably even more dramatically than his his pardon of Mike Flynn. And that happened uh, over the weekend at this rally in Georgia. Now, as you probably are aware, if you're not, you should be because this is a big, big deal. And this is something that I'm very focused on. And frankly, everybody in America ought to be focused on. And that is that on January 5th, there's going to be a runoff election for not one, but two Senate seats in Georgia. And if Democrats win both of those seats, they will effectively control the U.S. Senate because it'll be a 50-50 tie and the vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, will be able to break any tie. So Mitch McConnell will lose his ability to control the Senate. That is huge because that means that anything that Joe Biden wants to get in front of the Senate will at least get there and it will at least get a vote. That's actually more important than the votes themselves. The fact that that Chuck Schumer would then control the agenda is, in my view, more significant than whether there are 51 Republican votes or 52 Republican votes. The the real big deal is the agenda. Uh, uh, And that's huge, especially when you have a a master chess player like Mitch McConnell, who would theoretically be in charge. Now, there still seems to be this conventional wisdom that Republicans are going to win at least one of those two seats. I don't understand why. I do not understand why people seem to believe this. I am uh, I'm not predicting this yet. I'll make a prediction when we get closer. Uh, But, you know, gun to my head right now, I think Republicans are going to lose both those seats. I really do. 
You cannot be serious. I, I don't feel strongly about this, but I, 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 if you if a gun to my head, what's going to happen? I think they will both lose, and I think it will largely be because of Trump, and I think it will be because of this election fraud narrative. Not just because there's going to be some people that will be turned off by it, but also he's effectively telling his own people to not vote because you can't trust the voting system. Correct. Uh, so not to mention he's putting the two Republican candidates in a ridiculous position where they're not allowed to say that Joe Biden won their own state. Because if they do, that's against the Trump voter. So Trump is causing, because of his own ego, the two Republican candidates to uh, to be able to to bridge a gap that cannot be bridged. Uh, And so and the polling is a little bit all over the place. Uh, It's going to be very close. Don't no question about that, in my view. But uh, to me, part of the reason why I'm convinced, not just because I'm a pessimist, but because if you think about this from the karmic perspective, there's just no way the Republican Party is going to get away with four years of the Trump presidency and still have a foothold in power. They're, I mean, it's just not, not going to work that way from a from a cosmic perspective. If you believe in karma, which I don't really, but, you know, it does seem to sometimes work out this way. So, you know, they're not going to skate free the Republican Party and, you know, only have a small minority. I mean, they, they actually picked up seats in the House of Representatives in this past election. And so, you know, if, if in theory, if in theory Republicans won one or two of those Georgia seats, they would actually have survived the Trump presidency remarkably well. A small uh, margin uh, of defeat in the House of Representatives, still control of the U.S. Senate, uh, an ancient Joe Biden as president that would be effectively largely neutered. Uh, I mean, that's about as good as you could possibly get if you're a, a true conservative in this country and having survived this uh, hurricane of the Trump presidency. My gut tells me that's probably not going to happen. But uh, somewhat to his credit and somewhat to my surprise, at least Trump is pretending to campaign on behalf of the two Republican candidates in Georgia. And he did a rally in Georgia, which, of course, enraged uh, a lot of the liberals because, you know, it was a blatant COVID violation. There was uh, lots of people, no social distancing, not many masks, uh, although it was outside. Uh, you know, there, there, no one can ever argue that Donald Trump uh, is, un- is unable to draw a crowd. I mean, his ability to draw a crowd is really quite remarkable. Correct. And he did so in Georgia. Now, most of the rally was about him complaining about the election fraud and how even the state of Georgia, despite having a Republican governor and a Republican secretary of state, was somehow stolen from him. It's just flat out ridiculous. Um, But he did at least focus some of his attention on winning those two seats. And here's how he described the significance of winning those two seats and what it means to the future of the country to be able to hold off what will be a tidal wave of socialism and maybe even fascism based upon the the, the COVID pandemic that will sweep through America if Joe Biden is president, Kamala Harris is vice president, and even the, the Senate is an effectively 
uh, democratic control. And here's what that sounded like. Listen carefully. Use your logical brain and you'll be able to see that this is probably as close to a concession of defeat in the election as you're likely to get from Donald Trump. They're trying to steal these two important Senate seats from Georgia. And these seats are the last line of defense to save America and protect all that we have accomplished. Okay, they're the last line of defense to save America. I actually agree with that for all intents and purposes. I, I, I am, even though I don't like either of these two candidates, I am rooting, unlike most never-Trump conservatives who have completely sold out to the left-wing media and left-wing followers on Twitter like they're in part of a minstrel show, uh, I am rooting exceedingly hard for the Republicans uh, to win both of those seats, but I'll take one. If you give me one right now, I'll take it, uh, in Georgia. However, if you use your brain, and I, I would love to know whether Trump even realized what he just said there, and let's, let's, let's repeat it. Let's just be clear about this. Let's let, listen again, and you, you'll hear in this clip, very short clip, a clear concession that he has lost the election. They're trying to steal these two important Senate seats from Georgia. And these seats are the last line of defense to save America and protect all that we have accomplished. All right. Now, there's two elements of that that prove that Trump is conceding the election. Number one, if he was still going to be president, the Senate would not be the last line of defense. Correct. The last line of defense would be a presidential veto from Donald Trump. Correct. But he is saying there that that's not going to exist because he lost. Correct. And if you really want to parse it, even that last bit, uh, let's, let's listen one more time. Listen to the very last bit. They're trying to steal these two important Senate seats from Georgia. And these seats are the last line of defense to save America and protect all that we have accomplished. Accomplished. It cuts off a little bit there. Accomplished. Not accomplishing. Accomplished. That's past tense. He knows it's over. Correct. It's over. And so I would just love, from a curiosity perspective, what I, I, you know, because he was clearly reading from a teleprompter. Does he even understand what someone wrote for him, that he's conceding that he lost the election? I don't know. I really don't. But I, I would be very curious as to, to know the answer to that. But he's actually right in that statement, probably because he didn't write it. Heck, he didn't probably even read it before he said it at the rally. But that's the reality of this. This is going to be a very, very different country, depending on what happens in those two Senate seat runoff races in the state of Georgia. Again, that is going to happen on January the 5th. And I am very, very concerned about how that is all going to transpire. As far as the COVID pandemic and the current numbers, they continue to be awful here in the United States and around the world. Uh, there's no doubt about it that this thing has gotten much worse. Now, why it's gotten much worse, no one seems to want to give a straight answer to. I, I will say this, and I, I am fully acknowledging and have done so previously, that there's a, a strong amount of evidence now that the notion of low threshold herd immunity was not true. 
I still maintain the one caveat of that being if you look at what's happened in Sweden. I mean, every time people write off Sweden, they they make a comeback. Yes, they've had a massive number of new cases in recent weeks, far more than they did in the first wave. Yet it has not resulted in huge amounts of deaths, including, by the way, in fact, it looked like it was going to. And even now that has reversed itself to really very small levels of deaths with or of COVID on a daily basis if you use the seven-day average. Now, there's one small caveat to that, and that is that the way Sweden is reporting their numbers is very odd, and it makes it a little bit more difficult to get a seven-day average. But there's no question that their death rate is way, way, way below what would be expected given the number of, quote-unquote, new cases that they have experienced in the last few weeks. So that's my one the, the, the one disclaimer I will put on waving a full white flag on this issue of low threshold herd immunity, because it does appear as if Sweden is still benefiting from having uh, allowed this thing to effectively rip through them early on. Yes, they had way more deaths than they probably should have because of their handling of nursing homes, but there does appear to still be dividends for Sweden when it comes to their long game strategy. But there's also no question that uh, throughout most of the, the Northern Hemisphere, and the United States is clearly part of this, the the cases have exploded. They've all exploded at almost exactly the same time, which makes me feel as if it's seasonal. And I'll tell you the other thing that makes me feel as if it's seasonal, and that is the flu has disappeared. We have no flu in America this year. Correct. I, I, I checked it on this, the CDC website just the other day. Historically low, record low levels of flu throughout the entire country. Now, how is this possible? How is this possible? Now, some are saying, well, well John, see, uh, the things that we're doing for COVID, the social distancing and the masking and, and all the other stuff, that's why we're not experiencing flu this year. Okay, in theory, I can buy that, except the argument for why the cases have exploded Far to far greater numbers than they ever were during the worst uh, of the summer or even the spring outside of New York City is that somehow people all over the world, all over the country, instantaneously at the same time, just when the weather got colder, decided to stop wearing masks, stop social distancing, decided to start gathering, and that's why the cases exploded. So you can't not have it both ways. You can't say, wow, we're doing such an amazing job uh, that this is why the flu no longer exists, while also say that, well, you know, the, the, uh, the COVID cases have exploded because we're not doing enough of these containment measures well enough. That's inherently contradictory. And let's be clear, I'm not suggesting that everything that is being re- reported right now in the data is actually the flu. No, that would not make sense because the numbers are too large, especially from a death perspective. We're now over 2,000 deaths of or with COVID a day in America. That is significantly above what it would be normally for the flu. Now, there's always a but, 
The but is we've never counted the flu the same way we're counting COVID. So I'm I'm fully acknowledging and aware of that. But I'm not making the argument that what we're seeing now is purely just the normal flu uh, that we're renaming COVID. I think that there's a combination of factors going on here and that a lot of these cases are actually the flu or exacerbated by the flu. And we're calling it COVID because there's a positive COVID test involved. And by the way, the positive COVID test might not even be from a current case of COVID because of the nature of the test itself being so bogus. But there's no question that the, the pandemic has gotten much worse in recent weeks, not just in the United States, but around the world. I just wish people would be honest about what that means as far as mitigation efforts, as far as the power of masks and whether or not they really work. Because if I'm going to be willing to acknowledge that low threshold herd immunity uh, is not legitimate, then somebody ought to at least be willing to say, hold on a second, what about these mitigation efforts? Whether or not lockdowns really work, uh, because the evidence is now greatly diminished as if they ever, if it ever even existed to begin with, then any of this stuff actually works. It's seasonal. I mean, if you look at states with very different uh, mitigation efforts and rules and lockdowns, for instance, like Florida in comparison to California or Texas in comparison to Illinois or places like that, there's no correlation, none. I mean, some of these places track exactly the same number of cases uh, on a population uh, basis, uh, and the, the, regardless of what kind of mitigation efforts they have. I have seen no compelling evidence whatsoever that lockdowns or dramatic mitigation efforts work in the long run. I'm not even 100% sure they work in the short run. And I think that we're seeing that with regard to this seasonality. The spring, summer, and now this third wave in the late fall, early winter period it has, in my view, shown that this is seasonal, just like the flu is always a seasonal. Now, of course, there's a lot of speculation about, okay, what's going to happen when we finally get the vaccine? Some people are already starting to get the vaccine in the UK. Uh, there's some concerning things about this. And I am not, in any way, shape, or form, an anti-vaxxer person at all. Uh, I, I'm very pro-vaccination. And I'm not even that concerned. I'm a little concerned about the, uh, the side effects and whether or not this might be even worse than getting the coronavirus, depending on your age, uh, to begin with. That concerns me. I'm a little concerned about the lack of transparency and the speed with which this happened. I mean, some of the, the Pfizer data, I mean, several people died during the testing of this, although supposedly not due to the vaccine. I don't know how we know that. There have been some pretty serious side effects. And, um, you know, so that's concerning to me. I personally, as a very healthy uh, 53-year-old, I probably would not take the vaccine unless it was absolutely mandatory for me to do so, which may or may not be the case, depending on uh, you know, how these rules are created. I don't think my wife, who's a little younger than me, would take it. I'm not sure she would let our kids take it unless it was absolutely positively needed uh, from a legal perspective or to do particular activities, what have you. And, and the reason is not because... We don't believe in vaccines. It's because we don't believe, and there's been doctors that have said the same thing, that this isn't dangerous enough to us 
to warrant taking that kind of risk. That actually the risk of the vaccine could be at least as bad as getting COVID itself at our age and our weight and our on our levels of health. Now that would not be the case for somebody else. If you're in a higher risk, I would be urging you to get the vaccine because this is all about evaluating risk, which apparently we are really, 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 really bad at. I, I had no idea how bad we are as a society at evaluating risk. And I, I do believe that there's going to be a, a much higher mountain to climb on this issue of trust of the vaccine than even the experts currently understand. Now, they clearly get that there is a concern. Uh, there's already been talk that uh, former presidents Obama and Bush and Clinton will you know, very publicly get the vaccine. I'd be curious to see whether or not Trump very publicly gets the vaccine and whether or not that would be a positive or negative. My guess is, by the way, just for the record, I think that Trump should uh, get the vaccine in a public way because I think that would have a significant impact over his particular uh, fan base. I love the poorly educated. Who is going to be very skeptical of the vaccine in general. All I know is what's on the internet. And so I, I hope that Trump will do something like that. And so I'm in favor of building trust in the vaccine, but I'm actually more depressed by uh, not the side effects or the risks of it, but the fact that, that there may not be nearly the positive impact, uh, at least on our ability to get back to real life, that had been previously presumed. And now remember, these the, the Dr. Fauci's of the world, they don't want us to go back to normal because as soon as we get back to normal, they don't matter anymore. All right, let's be clear about that. Most people don't believe that, but that's the way these people work. It is not in Dr. Fauci's interest for us to ever get back to normal because no one will give a fuck about Dr. Fauci if we are ever back to normal. All right. And, and, and so they don't need much of an excuse at all, especially these tyrannical uh, dictatorial governors who don't want to give up power. They don't need much of an excuse to claim that this thing is still a real threat. And one of the key issues with the vaccine, which we don't know about yet, which is remarkable, <laughs> that the vaccine could be approved at this level, and we don't know this, we don't know whether or not it impacts someone who could get the coronavirus while uh, having been vaccinated and their ability to give it to somebody else. And we've already seen with the issue of asymptomatic spread, which is the basis for all of these restrictions, is the presumption that asymptomatic spread is a huge part of the deal, even though Dr. Fauci said in January that asymptomatic spread is never the driver of a viral pandemic. Correct. He said that directly, emphatically. And there's, to me, very limited evidence that he was wrong about that. But we've decided that he was wrong, even though he's still the world's foremost expert, at least in the United States somehow. I don't know how that works. But the reality is that that's the presumption of all this. There's no proof of it, in my view. Not strong enough proof to justify what we've done in response. But the reality is all they need is that foothold. If they can say, well, it's still theoretically possible for someone to have the vaccine, get the virus, and pass it to someone else, even though they won't have symptoms, then we're still fucked. Because that's what they will say, that the vaccine, that's great. It's going to diminish 
the number of people who get sick and go to the hospitals, but it's not going to diminish the number of people who act or eliminate the number of people who actually get this. Now, I think that's probably bullshit, but that's all they need. That's the only foothold they need to keep this going, even with a vaccine. And that's the part of this that upsets me the most. And as far as the vaccine and and Fauci and what have you goes, there was this clip that I want to play just because it shows what a show this all is. You know, you, you, if you doubt me on this issue of how important the ego is to these so-called experts, these so-called leaders. This is a clip of the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, who is the it's unbelievable to me that he is considered a hero in all of this. But he is. He's a media darling, at least as big as Dr. Fauci, despite having his state have the worst statistics on a per population basis in the entire United States and maybe in the entire world, depending on how you break it down. Here he has the gall to, on a Zoom interview with Dr. Fauci that he's doing, propose that he and Dr. Fauci do a commercial together promoting the benefits of the vaccine because, after all, they're like a modern-day Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. You know, Cuomo and Fauci, two two Italian guys. uh, You know, it's De Niro and Pacino. Cuomo and Fauci. Because they want to be movie stars. That's what this is about. They love the attention. I And I got to say, one of my best predictions in all of this was back in April when I told you this Fauci is not to be trusted because he is an attention whore. And I have been vindicated on that a thousand times over when he threw out the first pitch at a baseball game then broke his own uh, masking rules while watching the game with his friend and his wife to the cover of uh, InStyle magazine with sunglasses on to a bobblehead doll, all sorts of bullshit indicating that Doc, you know, does interviews all the time, which is great, except he's been doing them with Hollywood stars even. This guy is enamored with his own celebrity. And Cuomo's the same way, and here's what that sounded like uh, when they got together. I think your voice on saying that the vaccines are safe uh, would be important. I said that as soon as uh, the vaccine is deemed ready and safe, I'll be the first one to take a vaccine. Uh, maybe we enlist you. I'll do it with you. We'll do an ad telling New Yorkers it's safe to take the vaccine to, uh, to you know, put us together. We're like the uh, modern-day uh, De Niro and Pacino. You can be which whenever, whichever you want. You can be the De Niro or Pacino. <laughs> Fauci and Cuomo, I'll give you a phone. Who, who do you want to be, De Niro or Pacino? Which one do you want I to be? I love them both. <laughs> you... I love them both. I don't want to insult one or the other. If I say one, I don't want to hurt the feelings of the other. Yeah. So Who's the politician? There you go. That is incredibly telling to me. That is incredibly telling about what's really going on and the motivation of these assholes. This, this is about them. This is about their own ego, their own power. And and make no mistake, this has had a massive influence on policy. Masks being the most obvious because Dr. Fauci is a guy who was clearly against masks in March. He didn't learn anything new. There was nothing he learned new. There was no new science. The only thing he learned 
was that his fan base, which is the media and left-wingers on Twitter who saw him as the anti-Trump and the check on Trump, he became a hero to the left. And his fan base wanted masks because that was a virtue signal against Trump and because it made them feel like they were doing something. They had some control over the situation that was not in their control. It's a basic human reaction. It's totally understandable, but it's not based in science. And it becomes a religion. And Fauci was smart enough. took him a little while, but he was smart enough to realize that's where his bread is buttered. If he wants to be the preeminent expert, if he wants to be hailed as a hero, he better get on board on the mask train. And he did so because that's his motivation. And that clip right there, along with Cuomo, obviously Cuomo was the facilitator there, but Fauci went right along with it. It, it, that, That to me is incredibly telling about what's really going on here and why it's, it's not just annoying that he's an attention whore. It impacts policy hugely because it's no longer about science. Science often means you're going to be unpopular. You're going to say things that people don't like, doesn't, don't fit with what people want to believe or already believe. It's supposed to be about facts. It's supposed to be about logic. It's supposed to be about data. But no, 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 no. This is now about what makes you or keeps you popular. And that's how you get a mask cult that's a religion that's based on bullshit. That there's no data to back it up. There's no science to back it up. You Again, you want to wear a mask? Fine. But don't make me wear one and don't make my, my children wear one when they don't need it. It doesn't help them and it might even hurt them. Because I think there's more evidence that they harm, depending on how you use them, than they help. And the idea that it's a government mandate is absolutely abhorrent, abhorrent in a country that used to be founded on the concepts of freedom and liberty up until this year. And that's why I'm so against it. As far as Joe Biden, of course, that's all he ever talks about. All Joe Biden ever talks about is masks, masks, masks. He's just out today saying that in his first hundred days, he will, or first day, he will sign an executive order declaring that masks are to be worn and everywhere he has the power to make them be worn for 100 days. 100 days. Now, why is that an important number? That number, in my view, is, is in, a, in a slightly different way, is very similar to the clip I just played of Cuomo and Fauci. The 100 days is the key to understanding what bullshit this is. A hundred days is a nice round number that basically says we're doing this for a long time, but there is an end date. You know what it feels like? It feels like instead of a hundred days of masking, it feels like a, 40 days of fasting for Lent. Like this is this is penance for the Trump presidency. Correct. That we're, we're all going to be uh, supposedly forced into a mask mandate for a hundred days. How sciency is that? So that's not science. That's religion. That is a religious-based number. 100. Not 63 days, because science says that somehow in 63 days we can flatten the curve by wearing masks. Whatever, I'm putting, put, pick, pulling that number out of my ass. But that would actually make more sense than 100. 100 is the tell. Much like, you know, when Trump says that uh, the, the Georgia Senate seats are the last line of defense, it's a tell that he knew he lost the election. 
the 100 days is a tell that this is bullshit. This has nothing to do with science. This is now a religion. And and it's going to, and I know a lot of people are, uh, you know, dismissing this as well. It's not going to have that much legal impact. No, no, no. Uh, people in the red states are in for a rude awakening, a rude awakening like Florida, for instance, or Georgia or you know, areas of the country that don't currently have uh, technical mask mandates. This is going to give enormous power of morality to every nanny uh, in, in the country that now can say, no, no, there's a federal mandate. You must wear the mask. And that's going to seep into local municipalities and you know, cities with mayors that, that want to prove to the world how woke they are. This is going to have a major impact. And, the, you know, if there is a significance to the 100 days from a science perspective, and there have been some people I've seen on Twitter that have been even more cynical than I am, and I think they might be right about this. You know, where does 100 days get you? 100 days from January 20th gets you right to the start of spring, right at the exact time when the flu would be going away anyway. So there's no question that there is a strategy behind this, and I predicted this strategy long ago. I said that they're going to pretend that masks finally ended this thing. And therefore, you know, we just did, we didn't mask right under Trump, but we masked correctly under Biden once the adults took over, and it was the masks that saved us. Well, the 100 days is going to take us right to the time period that once the weather changes again and— You've got the vaccine starting to get into the to the hands of a significant number of people. In theory, you're going to see the numbers drop precipitously and they'll be able to say, voila, voila. It was the mask mandate that finally did it. You cannot be serious. That's what they're going to do. I predicted it from the beginning and nothing I've seen so far has indicated that that prediction was at all incorrect here in California things the insanity just has no end i mean we, our governor is a complete asshole and he has no idea what he's doing he just he just shut down the entire state back into another lockdown based upon this absurd notion that 85 percent of icu space being used is an indication that the healthcare system is about to be overwhelmed that is just simply not true no one believes that Nobody who's serious believes that. In fact, this time of year, 85% in many ICUs would be low. In fact, it might be so low that the, the hospitals would be disappointed because they would be losing money at 85%. It is not remotely abnormal for it to be 90, 95, 98% during this time of year when the flu is at its height. And yet the entire state is now locked down. Just to give you an example of the actual real-world impact of this. My family was going to go to Yosemite after Christmas because he's locked down, ho- uh, not hospitals, he's locked down hotels. We can't go to U- Yosemite National Park. So that trip got canceled. Our, uh, our, my, uh, my wife's sister was planning to come in from another state with her old family, the highlight of the Christmas season for my kids to actually see their cousins that they haven't seen in a very, very long time. They're all hyped to go. I don't believe they're going to come, not because of any actual regulation, many of which aren't even being enforced, but because of the perception that Governor Newsom has created 
that, you know what, don't come here. There's nothing to do here. It's not going to be any fun. And so this is where media coverage has a huge influence. So that's probably out. Santa Claus has been killed off this year. Last year, my eight-year-old daughter will give a damn about Santa Claus. There'll be no Santa Claus this year. First year, my three-year-old daughter will really understand the whole Santa Claus concept. No Santa Claus for her either. Can't do it. Can't even, and, and the idea that now somehow outdoor dining has been, has been uh, eliminated with no science behind it whatsoever. There was a court case in Los Angeles that, that went against uh, the Los Angeles edict on banning outdoor dining. It was yet another victory. There's been four or five, maybe six of these across the country now where these dictatorial governors and, and, and health directors have actually lost but it's had no impact because even though the, the court decided that the L.A. ban was inappropriate and not legal, the state ban oversees that. So now they have to go through the same process again on the state level. Who knows what will happen there because they probably got to find another judge. You might get a, another lunatic that's all down with this, this illegal bullshit. And the media, the media in our state is just a complete joke. They're just completely in the tank for all this. They're a bunch of morons and pussies. There's there's not a, a there's maybe one or two news media members in the entire state that are worth anything. All they do is act like lapdogs to this tyranny, which is just amazing. It's just amazing to me that the very same Democrats and liberal media that were all in favor of impeaching Donald Trump earlier this year because he might become a dictator are sitting around applauding Democratic governors like Gavin Newsom becoming way, way, way worse dictators with way more impact on people's lives than Donald Trump ever dreamed of being. Correct. But that's the world, that's the world we're living in now. The insane has become normalized. And that, to me, is maybe the most dangerous part of all this. Things that are utterly insane, utterly insane, are happening now on a regular basis and barely even sparking a response because we've become so desensitized to the insanity that I believe they are now becoming embedded in our cultural DNA, which is why we will never get back to any real sense of normalcy anytime soon. I still predict that there'll be some semblance of normalcy by the middle of summer in 2021 here in America, but we're never going fully back. Uh, there, there's just too much that has too much water under the bridge, too many precedents that have been created, uh, too much power hungry uh, governors or too many power hungry governors that have realized that they can get away with this and have the media go right along with it. And most of the public go right along with it. And so effectively, America is dead. It died in 2020. Uh, and uh, whatever we're going to have coming next, I, I don't know. Uh, a lot of it's going to depend on that uh, Georgia runoff election on January the 5th. In the next episode of the podcast, as I mentioned, we will start doing what I perceive will probably be two episodes, at least partially devoted to Ask John Anything. It'll be our last episode of 2020. And you can participate by asking me anything you want related to the podcast or any topics we discussed. You can do so on our Twitter feed, which is at Individual One Pod, or my Twitter feed, which is at Zygmunt Freud, or my Facebook page, or my email address, which is talktozig at AOL.com. That's T-A-L-K-T-O-Z-I-G, talktozig at AOL.com. 
That'll do it for this edition of the podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at individual the one number one pod. That's at individual the number one pod. Until next week, my name is John Ziegler. This is the Global Story Network. Thank you.